This is the Ruminant Podcast. I'm Jordan Marr. The Ruminant.ca is a website dedicated to sharing good ideas for farmers and gardeners. At the Ruminant, you can find past episodes of this podcast, essays I've written, a few book reviews, and a whole lot of photo-based blog posts, some of which were made by me and some of which were submitted by you. So I hope you'll check it out, theruminant.ca. And if you want to get a hold of me, editor at theruminant.ca or at ruminantblog on Twitter. Okay, let's do this show. Hey everyone, it's Jordan, the host of The Ruminant, and I just want to give you a brief new message before the episode gets started. This is a rerun. It's episode seven with Tamara Richardson. Tamara is a, is a friend of mine who lives a couple valleys over here in the interior of BC, and she is an entomologist who came on the podcast a couple years ago to share some information about managing insect pests on your farm. And I think you're going to like that. And before, But before we get started, uh, I just want to mention that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I think it won't be too long before I can start offering new content again. It has gotten pretty tricky to manage the podcast with my full-time farming this season, but we're almost through the real peak part of the season. And more importantly, I had an offer from, well, a a former guest on the program and a fan of the show to to help me a little bit with the podcast. And uh, since then, we've spoken a little bit and I think he is indeed going to help. And I think that is going to be really great for the show um i won't mention his name yet because uh we're just kind of this point just going to work together a bit and see how it goes and i don't want to make too big of a deal out of it yet uh because well i'll let elaine bennis explain why i'm trying to get a little squirrel to come over to me here i don't want to make any big sudden movements i'll frighten him away Uh, i'm just kidding around the point is it looks like I'm going to have a bit of help with the show, at least for the next few episodes. I'm thrilled about that, and, uh, and I'll just talk a bit more about that probably next episode, which will be in the next one to two weeks. All right, so here is episode seven, Entomology with Tamara Richardson. I hope you enjoy it. Today's guest is entomologist Tamara Richardson. In our conversation, we discussed three strategies for controlling insect pests in the garden including crop rotation, knowledge about pests overwintering behavior, and proper management of crop residues that contain unwanted insects. So let's get right to it. Tamara Richardson, thanks a lot for coming on the Ruminant Podcast. You're welcome. Tamara, you are a researcher and crop management consultant, and you are an entomologist. And beyond that terrible introduction, I'm going to ask you to describe a little bit uh, about what you do and uh, your background as it relates to agriculture. Sure. Thanks, Jordan. Um, well, I uh, I started off uh, during my undergraduate degree working on uh, greenhouse insect pests at a lab there, and then I moved on to do um, a master's degree at UNBC looking at different ways of managing uh, stink bug pests in conifer seed orchards, and following that, I got a short contract in the Similkameen Valley to work on aphid, uh, pest management of aphids in organic apple orchards and then fell in love with the area so much that I started to, I decided to move down here and start my own consulting company where my work consists of uh, doing research on organically acceptable methods of pest control for tree fruit pests 
And I've been working a little bit uh, in troubleshooting problems on a few organic veggie farms, uh, but that's relatively new for me and not a system I'm totally familiar with, but I'm becoming more familiar with. Okay. And well, since I'm a veggie grower, I, I think I'm most interested in talking about uh, ground crops and, and veggies and that sort of thing. Um, I understand that you're pretty new to the ground crop uh, uh, pest management, but can you talk a little more specifically about what you're working on? Well, I've been helping this one grower try and get a handle on uh, his aphid problems. Uh, and not this past year, but the year previously was, was a particularly damaging year. And we experimented with a few things. Uh, this was, these were aphids on tomatoes. Uh, we released a bunch of different biological controls and uh, tried to remove the alternate host of that aphid uh, from around the, uh, the area. Um, but... Most of the work involves try basically trying to release uh, biological controls to, to manage this particular aphid population, which wasn't, it, we didn't, we were, because of the severity of the issues, we weren't unable to have a control to actually test the efficacy, but the, the problems did eventually get cleaned up, but we weren't really able to tell if it was uh, due to the release biological controls of the naturally occurring ones. And when you which, say release controls, do you mean ladybugs? Do you mean wasps? Well, what I are mean, you guys releasing? Both. Uh, ladybugs, wasps, and, and midges. But what I talk, when I'm talking about a control, I'm talking about a control plot where we didn't release anything. Um, okay. Which, it's one, one, one thing uh, that a lot of people do is they try these new method methods, say you try and release a biological control, you try a new product, but you don't leave an area where you're testing the difference between the area where you're applying the particular control that you're using versus, and then if something goes away, people automatically jump to the, the conclusion that whatever they did worked, but but they haven't, they haven't set up a proper, uh, but they haven't set up a proper, Control against which to test what to what's, test. yeah right yeah okay what was what was actually going on so so off there, it's I'm I'm particularly interested in the topic of aphids because on yeah. on our um on our uh in our veggie garden um this past season in the Okanagan Valley in BC I had we had terrible aphid problems and I'm I'm quite certain it's the cabbage aphid and mm -hmm. it was it was mainly affecting our um various brassica crops, uh, particularly mm -hmm. our kale just got hammered. Yeah, I'm really interested in, in figuring out what I could be doing differently. And you mentioned, I heard you mention, um, you know, overwintering uh, where like um, the alternate hosts for aphids when you okay. know, during the winter or that sort of thing. So yeah, I'm just, maybe you could start by talking about that. Can you talk about alternate hosts and what's happening in the aphid life cycle? I'm really curious to know what, where are these aphids going over the winter um because our kale plants a lot of them there's some a couple beds that are still standing out there that are basically done and destroyed but um we didn't we didn't do anything with the plants or any of the debris around them and i'm wondering if that's going to be a problem uh it very likely could be um i am not up to to um speed too much on the actual life cycle of the cabbage aphid but but I know that um, 
aphids have uh, several generations in in a year, and so typically there's a, a an overwintered egg hatches in the spring, and they cycle through various uh, several asexual generations, have a sexual generation late at some point in the late summer, early fall, that sexual generation. And, and, and then they lay the eggs. So at, at, during, the, and during the summer, what happens is, or I'm speaking mostly about uh, an apple aphid, but there's a lot of generalities that, that can be applied to these aphids. So what, what's happening is that your aphids are building up in your, your, your crop, and they're also um, spreading out as they they'll form winged forms, and they're gonna they're gonna spread through your your crop system. And then there's also related weed species in the area. Um, yellow mustard's a big one that 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 the aphids can also survive on. So you might be able you might get rid of everything in your garden, but there's still going to be uh, that that species of aphid will still be out and about um, in your system. Um, I don't know if there's been a lot of work done, but it is possible that you could help uh, by removing as much of the mustard ho weed, weed hosts that are related to your crop, uh, and I think you're, you're talking about brassicas now, um, that, uh, that I've seen sort of anecdotally that work in other systems on a, on a small scale. Um, right. And then also removing, uh, removing really infested plant materials and not just throwing them in the compost, but, but even putting them in a bag, solarizing them and killing the Okay, okay, so that's, that are... I was, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about two things you mentioned. The first is, I think I've noticed that the first time I see aphids in the spring is not on the kale. And by the way, the kale is one of the first things that are out in the garden, that we have okay. out in the garden. I th I think I've noticed that prior to the the populations building up on the kale, um, they're building up on uh, um, like a, a ragweed that that grows is a common weed in the garden, and okay. so one one thing I've been curious about, the first season my instinct was to pull it all out, but then I was thinking like, well, if they have a you know a preference for that weed, is it better to leave them in and allow those populations to the aphids to to go for those weeds rather than rather than the the main crop but you're suggesting the strategy is to remove them get them out of the to garden remove them um i think the ragweed ragweed uh the as far as i know the uh cabbage aphid will only feed on brassicas and the ragweed i think you might be seeing another another type of aphid but there are that... early um, there are early mustards out too. Yeah. So, um, and I actually just while I'm talking to you, looking on the internet, um, I have I found some information that the the cabbage aphid overwinters as a as an egg in a host plant debris. So, I think that it might be worthwhile clearing up your your old plants. And getting rid of that plant debris, because if you're leaving it out, um, then those eggs are going to hatch in that same area that you had the problem the previous year. 
Right. Okay. So, all right. So, so uh, approach number one or strategy one you're recommending is when I find weed hosts anytime during the year to remove them. Um, I mean, I'm removing weeds anyway. Or regular, but... or re- like mo- removing what you can, but not just within your, your plot, but on the periphery, right? right. Um, I, I know that, I mean, that's far easier said than done. Um, but even regular mowing of those areas could have a beneficial effect or early season mowing or mowing in the fall to, and then taking your, those plant materials. And, and if you're composting properly, you could, you could incorporate those into a compost and, and, and kill those eggs too. And by properly, you mean uh, uh, turning them enough to bring the temperatures really high. Uh, the yeah, getting getting right. that getting that temperature up to between forty five and sixty five degrees Celsius. Right. Okay. A couple of a couple of times. You're going to do yourself a huge amount of favors for not just aphids, but probably other pests. If you do, if you if you do use proper composting, because you're going to be killing, you can kill if you've got say culled vegetables or 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 you've got you know you say you threw your I mean not that. You should be throwing <laughs> garlic infested with onion maggot just randomly in a pile. But you, you, if you manage your 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 waste residues and properly compost, you can you can kill a lot of you can kill pests that are are over winter or or are in those residues by using a proper compost using proper composting. Okay. Now now. One thing I can say about our composting here on, on, on this farm is that mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason, I struggle to, to get my piles, and these are all veggie residues, there's, there's mm-hmm. rarely any manure in them, up to heat. And earlier you mentioned solarizing your debris that you know is infested, and so I'm, this is really good to know. And that was another question mm-hmm. I had, is inevitably during the season, a lot of, as we're just dealing, because you can still harvest a lot of the crops with aphids, you just, we just end up having yeah. to wash them and stuff, but inevitably yeah. there's a lot of debris involved. Yeah. Um, but you're recommending it's if you're if you're not confident about your the temperature in your compost piles to to do something like solarize or I would guess in a worst case scenario burn burn that that residue. Yeah, you could burn it. You, I mean, you can also. You, I mean, if you don't. I mean, I know that when you're like in the season, you're 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 incredibly busy. Uh, you you can if you have heavy duty garbage garbage bags, you know, throw the stuff in those garbage bags, seal them, put them in the sun, leave them. They're going to be nasty to deal with later, but you can incorporate that material into a compost pile later, and you can have the confidence that whatever that is it, in yeah. those piles is dead, right? Because you, you know, with the lack of oxygen and and the beginning of decomposition, you're going to get the heat. The heat's going to go up in there. Yeah. Plus, with the additional heat of the sun, that's a way to oh. kill, contain at least contain insect pests that are on on. Uh, plant waste materials that you're not actually able to deal with at the time and that, would that apply would that apply to onion maggot because we have that problem here as well that would that would apply to onion maggot too another another that definitely apply to onion maggot um mm-hmm. but you want you want to make sure you seal seal your culls and and leave, leave you know leave them for a week or two make, making sure that they they're in the sun so that you you can get those high heats and okay. then and then that material can be incorporated into your compost pile if and, and with you know if it's a, again if it's working properly you're not going to have to worry worry about that but if if you're 
if you're not sure you're reaching those temperatures, that's a way to make sure that you're not going to increase your problem. I mean, with, with onion maggot, the most important, one of the most important things with onion maggot fly is rotating your garlic crop year to year. Okay, well, let's jump to the topic of, um, of crop rotation, because that is a mainstay of organic growing. And again, it's not, it's not considered mandatory by your certified organic inspector, but they are encouraging it. Or, or at the very least, they want to see you have a, a, a pest and disease management plan. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the most endorsed ways to, to have a plan is to, to do engaging crop rotation. But, but as an entomologist, you can, you can I mean, I, I, I worry with certain aspects of, of the organic philosophy that they're more based in um, receive wisdom than science. But, but as an entomologist, you can really endorse that notion of, of, of rotating those crop families to, um, to make Absolutely. the pests. Absolutely. Yeah. There, and there, there's, there's some, there's some uh, science behind it, too. Um, and as we, we spoke earlier of uh, overwintering, you know, we were talking about where these aphids overwinter. Um, but some other pests, uh, a lot of uh, fly pests and certain uh, moth and butterfly pests or larval pests, they spend the winter in the soil and, other, and, other, and beetles, beetles as well, certain beetles as well, the, the, the pupa or the puparia. They, uh, they overwinter in this dormant, this dormant stage. Uh, and then if you go back the next year and you have a crop in the same family and you plant it in that area, you've already got, you've already got a pest population right there. They don't have to move very far to find uh, once they emerge and start feeding and go through the reproductive cycle. They don't, they don't, they don't have to go anywhere. The food, their, their preferred food system, food is, is right there because a lot of these pests are at very least family-specific. Family um, right, right. right. But, so, but one thing I've wondered is that, like, what if? I mean, how how far how far can pests move? Because um, you know, we have one main garden here that's only about between half and three quarters of an acre, and in mm -hmm. that in that section, that we have eight different blocks, and those are mm -hmm. the blocks that get rotated, right? And each set of twelve beds gets moved to the next block over. So yeah. if I move it so that essentially the same bed of the same block gets moved, it ends up getting moved sixty feet. Right? Is that where they get moved sixty feet? Well, not actually, not even. If you if you look at it yeah. this way, in my rotation, so yeah, like there's twelve beds in each block, mm -hmm. and then but then the next block over, I mean, there's a bed. So bed one of the next block is right beside bed twelve of the previous one. So yeah. if you assume that the brassicas are going to get shifted over to the next block, um, you know, the, the first bed of brassicas the next year is right beside bed twelve of last year's block, and so I'm just yeah, I'm trying to get a sense of. How far can pests move? You know, to it, what extent? it depends on the pest. Um, it absolutely depends on the pest. Certain things don't move very far. Certain things don't fly as much as others. Certain things are good flyers. Certain things are poor flyers. Um, and certainly, uh, for cer some pests, the rotation isn't going to be as much of an issue, or isn't going to solve as many problems, say, as as another. Um, However, the, it is the often, not speaking about aphids at this point, but speaking about uh, fly and um, larval pests, it's, it's that, that, that uh, young generation, um, the 
of Marvel Farm, obviously, that's the, that are the biggest feeders, right? Yeah. And so if you've got so and 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 often for for the most part, the uh, the plant that an insect is feeding on is the plant that they reproduce on and, and lay eggs because these babies can't move very far. A larva isn't going to move very far. An adult right. fly, an adult aphid can fly and they can get picked up on the wind and they can get move, move, move. But I mean, everything has sort of a finite energy budget. And a lot of the adult form of these insects aren't, aren't as big a feeders as the, as the larvas. Basically, you've got something emerging. The first thing it wants to do is to go out and have sex and have babies, right? So, okay. and they want their well, babies because their babies okay. can't move around. The babies need to have their particular host plant. So if you're planting year after year, the same thing in the same area, you might not have any problems for a while, but as the population starts to build up, you're making life easy for them, right? So yeah. their host is there. Okay, boom, going to have my babies. Okay, look, my food's here. I'm not going to go anywhere. The babies, babies are there. And so if this goes on year after year after year, you're going to have more populations going to build up. Obviously, you're going to have more natural enemies eventually coming in, but your population's building up. And then they're going to, obviously, the, once those, that young generation matures, they're going to disperse, but you're still going to have a, 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 a resident population in that patch too. So year right. after year, if you don't move it, you're building, you're building it up in that area. Whereas if you move it to a completely different crop group, okay, so you had a pest problem one year. Um, then you say, say you had your cabbages. Well, and then the next year, okay, you're going to put some eggplants there. Well, your cabbage fly, it's going to wake up and it's going to be, there's an eggplant. It doesn't eat the eggplant. So it's not going to be successful. It's going to die because there's no food. Right, okay. The way it sounds with your rotation if you're moving, if you can, try and, like, set up your rotation so that maybe things aren't going direct, uh, one crop group isn't going directly adjacent to where it, it was the previous year. If you can have a bit of a gap in there. Like, maybe maybe moving everything, skip a block with the, each, so yeah, everything moves Yeah, you skip yeah, so everything, yeah, I mean, you can probably work this out on paper, um, yeah. but if you can, if you can, if you can skip a block, it's not going to be a cure-all for everything, but it's, it's going to help. So I think with, with good rotation and cleaning up the plant residues that might harbor a pathogens and other, uh, you know, eggs of other individuals of the population of that pest, um, it's going to help. But overall, it really sounds like it's worth, with any given pest, going online or wherever and finding out how that insect overwinters in what form of their Absolutely. life cycle and finding where out they the are. life cycle you find out the life by figuring out the life cycle and then um looking at that and seeing if there's any part of the behavior of that insect that you can exploit i mean um where does it lay its eggs uh where does it overwinter does it overwinter in the soil well maybe once you've cleared out your, your area as in addition to doing these other these other uh, things that we we talked about, cultivating, right? Because perhaps you can chop up at least some of the the puparia or the overwintering individuals if that's where they happen to be. Right. And um, do you know of any de like what's what's your go to or what should a farmer's go to online resource be? Do you know of any? Yeah, I go to the UC University of California IPM online site a lot. Um, 
And they're quite, I mean, they have a different environment, but they, they have growing environment, temperature, climate, et cetera. Um, but they've got a really, they've got great uh, pest descriptions. They've got great damage descriptions. They've got conventional management tools, but they also talk about different cultural control that you can possibly, you can possibly use as well. And are they um, on that side? Are they going to talk about? Are they going to like lie, like lay out like um um different stages of life cycle and overwintering characteristics and stuff like that? Um, not always. They do have they do have some. The unfortunately, we don't have. Uh, I find that there's a lot of really good information on the university extension websites in the U.S. University of Washington, University of California, University of Oregon. And the University of Minnesota, there's, there are great, there are good agricultural integrated pest management resources. And they talk about different insect pests by crop, and they provide a lot of information on, if you use a combination of a couple of these sites, you, you should be able to find out, find out what, find out what you need. Um, and Okay. Yeah, there. I find these are, are really good resources that typically have, which is applicable to organic growers, sections on control, like cultural control methods and what the biological controls are. Uh, you mentioned that you used soap. Um, I'm not sure how much that would have helped you. It is. Uh, it's a. I've found that it's not the most. It's a not particularly. It's not a particularly effective. You might get a little bit of suppression, but mm-hmm. uh, I think cleaning up your area, cleaning up, keeping using sanitation methods post harvest and throughout your harvest, uh, throughout your growing season, coupled with um, manage trying to manage your alternate hosts, uh, and is going to have the best effect. It coupled, did I say crop rotation? <laughs> coupled with crop rotation. Tamara, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your very valuable um, insect knowledge with uh, our listeners. No problem. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed that, folks. And before I sign off on the episode, I do want to uh, share the website that Tamara was talking about, the UC Davis site. The actual site is IPM, as in Integrated Pest Management, ipm.ucdavis.edu. I've taken a look at the site and it looks really cool, so do check that out sometime. Thanks for listening, and I hope to be publishing or broadcasting again in uh, about a week or so.
in a place that don't want us a place that is trying to bleed us dry we could be happy with life in the country with salt on our skin and the dirt on our hands i've been doing a lot of thinking some real soul searching and here's my final resolve i don't need a big old house or some fancy car to keep my love going strong so we'll run right out into the wilds and braces we'll keep close quarters with gentle faces and live next door to the birds and the bees and live life like it was meant to be